he is worthy of all our praise. We are so excited to have you here this morning. My name is Samantha Corley. I am here on staff at Good News Church, and we want to welcome you. We are so glad you're here joining us in person, and for those that are joining us online, welcome. If this is your first time here, we have some cards in the seats. Um, this is to tell you a little bit about ourselves. If you want to find a church home and you need to know some information, please pick up one of these cards, take it with you. Um, we would love for you to be a part of our church here. And we would love to connect with you. So in the back of your seats in front of you, we have our connect card. Uh, go ahead and fill that out. Let us know who you are. If you have any questions, that's how we would love to connect with you, send you a card. If you're online, we also have a form with a link right there that will help you connect with us. So um, we have some exciting things that happen every year in the church, and one of those is our Vacation Bible School. So we are announcing our Save the Date. So it's July 19th through the 23rd. We're really excited about it. This year we are going to do a virtual backyard VBS like we did last year. Um, I'm a little sad we're not all meeting here in the building, but last year was an amazing opportunity for my family I got to have my nephews come into my home, learn about Jesus. They provided all the material for me to do VBS right in my backyard, also with my neighbors. And I had a blast sharing Jesus with children in my family and in my neighborhood. So save those dates. Mark that on your calendar. And if you don't know um, a group that's doing VBS in your area, fill that out on the card and let us know, and we'll connect you with a group uh, we are really excited you're here today, and so we want to welcome you and welcome Dave up. Good morning. He is risen. He is risen. One, one more time. He is risen. There you go. Now, I'm so glad each of you are here this morning, and I would love for you to join me in prayer. Father, thank you. You have chosen to save a people for yourself through Jesus, and there are people gathered here, and there are people gathered throughout this community, and there are people gathered around the world today to sing glory, hallelujah, to the King of kings, and that's you, Jesus. We thank you. We thank you for life eternal with you, King Jesus. And I pray this morning that you would send your Holy Spirit to this place and to each church that gathers in your name. And Lord, would you do what only you can do, to take the things that are true about Jesus and make them real to our hearts. Lord, take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and make it so clear and so real that people would be called out of death and into life. Life abundant now and life forever with you, King Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. The passage we're going to look at together this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So I'd invite you to turn there. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you're 
can follow along on the screens. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and you believed. When you uh, go out to a new restaurant, you enjoy a good meal, you can't help it, right? You always tell other people about the experience you had. Now this past week, Suellen and I went out to dinner, and we went to the Funkadelic food truck. Y'all, it's unbelievable. (laughs) It's the best hamburger I've ever had in my life. And you say, Two questions, right? You say, well, what was in it? Let me tell you. It was amazing. They took all these different cuts of beef and they mixed them all together in this perfect patty. And they sprinkled this seasoning on it and they cooked it perfectly and they topped it with so many toppings. It was perfect. What was in it? But then there's another question that some of you ask. And that's this. How was it? It was good. I had to tell my friend. So I told my friend Strider. And the next day he went to the Funkadelic food truck with his family. And he came on Friday night to our Good Friday service. And he said, Dave, that was the best burger ever. I said, I told you. The gospel can be the same way. The gospel is both a historically true, verifiable fact about Jesus Christ. It's news about Jesus. What's in it? There's bad news and there's good news. But there's another question that we need to ask. Because many, many, many of us, we know what's in the gospel But we've lost the wonder, the joy, the amazing, true satisfaction that the gospel brings. How does it taste? And I'm hoping you leave here this morning and you say, the gospel tastes good. And I hope you leave here this morning ready to tell your friends about Jesus. We're going to answer those two questions. What is in the gospel And what does the gospel do when it moves into me? Is it really, really satisfying? It is. 
So what's in the gospel? Well, listen, verse 3 says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, when your professors in college told you that something was really, really important, you wrote it down because you knew that there was going to be a test. I, I generally thought that classes were optional in college. But there was a day that I walked into class. And I went to school back when dinosaurs roamed the planet. So when I was in school, they had these things called blue books. Blue books were like little journals that they would hand to you on the day of an exam, and you would write down your answers, usually essay answers, in the blue book, and then you'd turn it back in. Well, the professor was handing out blue books. That meant that there was going to be a test. I didn't know there was going to be a test. My professor was so kind and gracious. He said, listen, I'll give you two hours to prepare for the test. One of those hours, all my classmates were taking the test. Then I had to scramble around to find someone who would be kind enough to let me have copies of their notes. That was a tough sell. Listen, there's going to be a test. And every single one of us are going to have to give the answer to the question, what is of first importance? Is it the gospel? Is it Jesus Christ? Do you understand who Jesus is? Do you understand what Jesus Christ came to do for you? Have you placed your trust in him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? That's part of the test. The other part of the test is have you brought him into your life? Is he, has he come deeply, deeply into your life so that he's beginning to change everything? Oh, there's going to be a test. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Now, the gospel has bad news, and the bad news is that we've all sinned. And sin is a very, very short word. But it has so many destructive implications for our lives. You see, sin is when we fail to achieve a standard. And all of us have a standard. We all have a standard. We love to hold other people accountable to our standards. We very rarely meet our own standards. But there's something else. The reason why we all have standards, the reason why there are times in our life where we say, that's not right, is because we're made in the image of God. And God has written his law in our hearts so that we know that there is right and wrong. And God has a standard. God's standard is his law, his moral law. And it's true for everyone, everywhere, all the time. His law says, you shall put me first. Listen, have you always put God first in your life? Have you? He says, don't use my name wrongly. Oh, have, you, have you always used God's name the way that it was meant to be used in praise and thanksgiving and honor to him? Me neither. God's law says, honor your father and mother. Have you, have you always honored your father and mother? 
God's law says don't murder. And Jesus said that if we even get angry with someone else, we've committed murder in our heart. Have you, have you ever lost your temper with someone, even just once? You see, we've all failed to measure up to God's standard. In 1 John 3, 4, would you say this with me? Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. There is a standard. And we've all broken it. And once it's been broken, it can't be put back together. Once it's been broken, it's been broken. And we've all broken God's law. And the God that we've sinned against is holy, holy, holy. We're in big trouble. And if God is the one that we've sinned against, then only God can do something about our sin problem. And that's why it says Christ died for our sins. Only God could do something about our sin problem. And Jesus Christ has done something about our sin problem. Jesus Christ Jesus is the Christ. That means he's the anointed one. He was fully God and fully man. He lived the life as a man. He lived the life that we should have lived, a life of perfect obedience. He measured up to the standard in every way. And then Jesus Christ, because only God could do something about the problem, Jesus Christ climbed on a cross, and on that cross, he died for our sins. Jesus Christ accomplished the great exchange. You see, not only have we broken God's law, we have a record of sin that separates us from God. If everything that you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever said was written down in a book, for me, it would be a record book of sin. I've been around a long time, so if this was my record book of sin, let's be honest, it'd be a lot bigger. But we all have a record. We all have a record of sin. Not only have we broken God's laws, our sin separates us from a holy God. God is love, and He would want to have relationship with us, but our sin has separated us. The Bible says all of us like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But Jesus Christ, the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. See, Jesus made the great exchange. Jesus Christ went to the cross. The sinless one became sin. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says this, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus had a perfect record. Jesus' record was a record of righteousness. In his life here on earth, he racked up a record of righteousness and he says, I will credit my righteousness, the righteousness that I've secured, I'll credit it to you. 
on the cross, he took our sin. And when we put our trust in him, he says, you can have my record. So that when God, my father, looks at you, he looks at you and sees me. You say, well, how do I know? That the penalty has been paid. How do I know that the exchange has been made? How do I know? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Listen, if you are sentenced to prison, if you're sentenced to prison and, and you go to serve your time, let's say you're sentenced to 10 years in prison. If you try to leave the prison nine years, 364 days into your sentence, what will happen? They'll send you back to your cell because you have not paid the sentence. But when Jesus Christ stepped out of the grave, it means that the penalty due you and me for our sin has been paid in full and it has been accepted by the Father. And if there was any sin that hadn't been paid for by Jesus on the cross, he would still be in the tomb. But he's not. The penalty has been paid in full and you can be free, forgiven, accepted, declared righteous. And you can have confidence that it's true because a dead man walked out of the grave. And he says that all who put their trust in him one day will walk out of the grave too. And they'll be with him on a perfect earth forever. That's what's in the gospel. It's good news. And it changes everything. How does it taste? You see, some of us have so much knowledge of the gospel, but the gospel's never really worked its way down into our heart. But that's not what happened in Corinth. Look at what happened in Corinth. In Corinth, Paul went and he preached. Verse 1. And when he preached, they received the gospel. Then they took the gospel that they received and they stood on it. They put their confidence in it. And then they were saved by it. It wasn't something that they just played with around the edges. It was something that they took into the very center of their lives. It was something that began to work itself out in all of their relationships. It was something that began to work itself out in the marketplace. It was something that changed everything. So how do you know? Look at verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul says, is it possible for you to be forgiven? Look at Paul. Paul persecuted the church of God. Is there anything that could keep God from forgiving you if he was willing to forgive someone who in murderous rage in the name of of God went to murder those who were following God's Son as Savior and Lord. If God could forgive that, 
and he could forgive you. But there's something else. Not only does the example of the Apostle Paul show what happens when Jesus moves into the center of a person's life and they begin to experience the joy of forgiveness, it also shows that not only can God forgive what you've done, he can also forgive what's been done to you. Because everywhere Paul went and preached, he looked at men and women whose friends and family and loved ones he had persecuted. And they loved him. And they accepted him. And they forgave him. Because when the gospel moves in, it doesn't just play around the edges. It moves into the very center of our hearts. And so not only can we know that everything that's been done by us is forgiven, it's also possible for the things that have been done to us to be forgiven. Wouldn't that be amazing? You see, it's the gospel. In places like Rwanda and South Africa and the American South, it's the gospel that moves in and it makes it possible for people to forgive one another even when incredibly evil wrongs have been done. And I've seen it happen. I had a friend in South Florida. When our family lived in South Florida, I pastored a church there, and there was a man who came to faith in Christ through my teaching and preaching in South Florida. And this man came to faith in Christ. He had immigrated to South Florida from a South American country, and he spoke Spanish. Now, I'm a stupid American. One day, some other Spanish-speaking people came to the church, and I said, Will you go and translate for these people who have come to the church? He went and he translated. He came back to me after the service. He says, Dave, you're not going to believe it. I said, what happened? He said, those people are from a country, and I hate the people in that country. But when I met them, I had such love for them. Jesus has really moved into my life. Jesus is really real. He's really moved in and he made it possible for me to love these people that one time before I knew Jesus, I would have hated them. Are you experiencing that kind of love? Ernest Hemingway wrote a short story called The Capital of the World. And in it, he tells the story of a man named Paco who moves to Madrid to pursue a career as a bullfighter. He leaves home and he breaks his father's heart. And so his father takes out an ad in the paper and it says, Paco, meet me. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Paco didn't come. But the next day his father went to the place that he had arranged to meet Paco and there wasn't just one Paco there. There were hundreds of Pacos who had seen the ad in the paper and had come to be reconciled to their papas. Do you have a gospel like that? Do you have a savior like that? You may be a spiritual person. You may be nice. You may be kind. You may be a great neighbor. But your niceness, your kindness 
It can only be shown to one or two people at a time, but the kindness and love of our Savior Jesus can reconcile all kinds of people to one another at once. How satisfying is your gospel? How satisfying is King Jesus to you? Are you seeing that kind of reconciling love happening around you? Oh, what is it? The gospel's good news. It's got bad news about our sin, but it's good news about a Savior who's done everything necessary to make us beautiful to God. How does it taste? It tastes good to be forgiven, to be reconciled to our Father and to one another. Well, how does it get into us? How does it move in? How does it move into our lives? Some people think that that it moves in through head knowledge, that if we study the Bible enough, if we know enough things about Jesus, then, then we'll have eternal life. No, it's, it's not head knowledge. It's not head knowledge. Some people think, well, it's temporary faith. You know, sometimes I need Jesus. Other times I don't need Jesus. When I need Jesus, I'll call him up. He'll do some things for me and everything will be good. It's not temporary faith. That's not saving faith. Listen, it's not faith in faith. I'm a spiritual person. Oh, no. Saving faith. Saving faith is trust in Christ alone as he's offered in the gospel. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12 says, I know whom I have believed. And I am confident that he is able to keep what I've entrusted to him against that day. Oh, there's an exam coming. There's a test. And on that day, Only saving faith in Jesus Christ will pass the test. And Paul says, I have faith in Jesus, a person. Paul doesn't say, I know that I believed. That would be faith in faith. He doesn't say, I know what I believed. That'd be head knowledge. He doesn't say, I know when I believed. That would be temporary faith. No, saving faith is confident trust in a person, Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection for me. How about you? Do you have saving faith, confident trust in Christ alone? Listen. It's like this chair. Now, I can look at this chair, and you can look at this chair, and you could say, it's a chair. We can all pass that test. I can consider the chair, and I can think, it looks like it's made of wood, and I'm pretty sure it'll hold me up. We could all pass that test. But the only test that matters of the chair is whether or not I'm actually putting my trust in it. What do I have to do to show my confident trust in the chair? I have to sit in it. And it's the same with Jesus Christ. Saving faith is confident trust in Christ alone as he's offered in the gospel. 
In verse 11, Paul says, Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and you believed. You've heard the greatest news that could ever be told this morning. And the question for you is, have you believed? Have you put your trust in Christ alone as he's offered in the gospel? To believe means that we admit the bad news. That we've all broken God's standard. That we all have a record of sin that separates us from a holy God. And that we admit that our efforts to make ourselves good enough to be loved by God are not working. Have you admitted that to God? Won't you? It means that we believe, we have confident trust that Jesus Christ went to the cross. He accomplished the great exchange for you. He took your sin upon himself and he offers you his righteousness. It means you believe that he died and he rose again to show that the penalty had been paid in full. It means that you commit to him as Savior and Lord. Have you done that? There will be a test. And the only answer to the exam is saving faith in Christ alone. I want to give you the opportunity to put your trust in Jesus Christ right now. I'm going to pray for all of us. And if you have never put your trust in Jesus Christ, I'm going to lead you in a prayer that you can pray right where you're sitting and admit and believe and commit to Christ with saving faith. And after I'm done praying, uh, leading you in a, in a brief prayer, I would love to give you the opportunity with everyone still praying, every eye closed, I'm going to give you the opportunity if you receive Christ today to raise your hand. For two reasons. Number one, because I want to pray for you. And number two, because Jesus will become more real when we give an indication of our commitment to him. So I'm going to pray now. I'm going to pray for you. Then I'm going to lead you in a prayer that you can pray to receive Christ. And then I'll pray for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the news. Thank you for the gospel. That Jesus, you have done it all so that we could have it all. That you stepped out of the grave. Showing that the penalty that you paid for our sin on the cross had been accepted by the Father. And there was no sin, past, present, and future that couldn't be forgiven. Jesus, I pray, I pray that, that we would not just know what's in the gospel, oh, but we would know how good the gospel tastes, how good the gospel really is. Jesus, I pray that, that you would be at work by your Holy Spirit right now. And if you're here this morning and you're sensing an awareness of your need for forgiveness, 
you're sensing an awareness that your sin has separated you from God and you're in trouble, then won't you run to Jesus? Won't you put your trust in him? Won't you admit to him now, Jesus, I've sinned against you in many ways. You can pray that to him now. He's listening. Won't you believe Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead. Jesus, forgive me of all my sins and give me the gift of eternal life. Come into my life as Savior and Lord. Help me become the person you want me to be. And if if in the quietness of that moment you were talking to God about your need for forgiveness and you received the gift of eternal life, won't you just raise your hand? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for the hope of the resurrection, that the best is yet to come, that one day soon you'll return for your church. Thank you that we're not alone in this world, but that you've given your Holy Spirit to be with us, that you've given us your church, a place to belong. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you, King Jesus. Amen.